Happy New Year, adventurers. Let's start 2024 off by strapping ourselves in, taking a deep breath and travelling across the universe. My name's Dan. Let's get ready for a big, bold, adventurous, curious 2024. It's a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Every week, we search through the galaxies, looking up that strange secret science that no one has found before. And we will celebrate the start of this year by actually travelling into space, finding out what the next 12 months have in store for the universe around us. Chatting with Dara Patel from the National Space Centre about what we can look forward to. Private companies are also getting involved in more scientific missions. So there's a mission going up hopefully this month called Axiom 3. And they'll be sending private astronauts to the International Space Station. But they won't be up there for six months at a time like most astronauts are. They'll be going up for a couple of weeks, conducting a bit of scientific experimentation, and then coming back down. So I'm always just cautious with space, though. That lots of people always have that, you know, comment, well, is space worth it? We're spending billions when we've already got problems here on Earth. And so I think when it comes to space tourism, we need to make sure there's a balance and it's not just a commercial profitable thing, but actually that there are some benefits with going into space that we can bring back to the Earth as well. Also, we'll take a look at the strange, unique machines that can be put into your body to help you work better with Techno Mum. Electrical pulses from the brain can even be used to move bionic hands. So they're moved by thought alone. Who needs science fiction with facts like that? And I've got your questions on headaches and bright stars. It's all coming up in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. Now, last year was the UK's second warmest year ever according to provisional data from the Met Office. This puts it just behind 2022, so it's all hot around here recently. It recorded an average temperature of 0.06 degrees lower than 2022, so it was still pretty hot. Last summer in the UK, we had the hottest June and the joint hottest September on record. Temperatures reached over 33 degrees Celsius. And the National Weather Service has said that climate change has made high temperatures significantly more likely. Now, when we think of climate change and the climate crisis, we don't always see the impacts around us, so we don't know what there is to worry about. But when we're getting these real extremes of temperatures, hot summers, much more rainy parts around the year, though, that's what's happening. That's what we need to look out for. Also, a year from now, on the 24th of December 2024, NASA's Parker Solar Probe will race past the sun at an astonishing speed of 435 miles an hour. No human-made object will have moved so fast or got so close to the sun. It's almost 4 million miles from the sun's surface. Now, that sounds ages away, 4 million miles, but it's very, very close. Scientists have worked on this project, and they say it's like landing on the star. That's how close we're getting. The temperature on the front of that probe will reach 1,400 degrees C, And also, get this, it's amazing. The gravity that the sun will put on the probe will make it move so fast, it's like flying from London to New York City in less than 30 seconds. And uh, NASA are hoping to get even closer the year after. It's amazing, isn't it? We'll learn about this later on when we chat to Dara Patel about what's happening in 2024. But we keep looking outwards. We, We keep reaching and doing more amazing things around space. And finally, a site in the Shetland Islands has become the UK's first spaceport for vertical rocket launches. 
Saxavord Spaceport is on the small island of Unst, up uh, just north of Scotland. It's been given approval to begin space launches this year. It will be the first fully licensed spaceport in Western Europe able to take off vertically. So they don't need to fly along the ground, then lift upwards. They go upwards. Like you imagine classic rockets take off. It can launch 30 uh, rockets to space a year and it will be used to take uh, mostly satellites into space but this is huge for the space industry uh, around the UK and we've got this which means that maybe in the future we can get even more amazing stuff Let's take a look inside your body then, check in with Benny and Mal, these are our microbe pals, they have been looking at big decisions that we have to make, also ways that we can change your body and we can make bodies better for everyone. Uh, This week, we're thinking about artificial limbs. The benefits of helping the elderly of the injured are there, maybe even running at super speeds with brand new artificial limbs. But who decides who will get these bionic upgrades? And what should we upgrade babies to? Benny and Mal's Body Teasers, with support from the Nuffield Council on Bioethics. Ah, hello again. Now, as Nurse Nanobot loves to point out, my lab can get a bit messy. But what she doesn't realise is there's an awful lot of interesting stuff going on under all that mess. Take Benny and Mal, for instance. They are microbes, that single-celled organisms to you and me, who live at the bottom of an old test tube. And being single-celled organisms, they are very single-minded. Just have a listen. Benny and Mal never agree on anything. So, lads, what's the hot topic today? Boy, lads, what's the hot topic? Sorry, mate. Well, you know we were watching that film about pirates. Mal said he wouldn't mind trying out a wooden leg like the pirate captain had. But I said that there is a bit more to think about when it comes to... Artificial limbs. And like I've been saying, surely everyone can agree that artificial limbs are brilliant. End of. They help people without hands to pick things up and help people without legs to get about and even run. You're thinking of those guys at the Paralympics, right? Those cool blades? Yes. To be honest, I was thinking of them too. Now, how on earth can science used in a helpful way like that be wrong? Nothing wrong with those examples. No one's going to argue with that. But sometimes a dilemma is created when you think about where things are going. Well, if it's one of them fellas at the Paralympics on those blades, they're going 100 metres normally in a straight line towards the finish. All right, but what if technology gets so amazingly advanced that artificial limbs allow you to run faster than a typical athlete? Say, 100 miles an hour. Well, that would be brilliant. Although, would that mean they could only run against other super-fast blade runners? Hmm, wouldn't be fair to put them in a race against... Well, anyone that hasn't got them, I suppose. You see, it's already not quite as simple as you thought. Definitely a dilemma. But that's okay. You haven't convinced me it's a bad idea yet, though, these 100 miles per hour blades. Having their own sports event wouldn't be the end of the world, would it? All right. What if your artificial leg could carry additional technology, like the internet or even weapons? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You've gone a country mile there. One minute we're talking about helping someone get around, and now we're discussing a robo-runner. Well, constraints of time, mate. Okay, what if babies could have their legs replaced with artificial limbs when they were born? All right, Benny, my old mate. 
What if the legs meant no one would ever get tired and old people wouldn't need walking sticks? What if it meant no more P.E.? Yeah, you didn't think about that one, did you? Fair points, Mal, and nice counter-arguments there. Thanks, Benny. Felt it was necessary. But I think that all we've managed to do is show that if we don't think carefully about things, then there's a chance we get... A hundred mile per hour babies with robo-gun legs! (laughs) We can get things turning out in a way we didn't want. Just takes a bit of thought now to really work out how we can best use the science and technology at our disposal. It's a brain-busting body bamboozler for sure. Sure is. Catch you next time. Benny and Mal's Body Teasers, with support from the Nuffield Council on Bioethics. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash Benny and Mal. More from Benny and Mal next week on the show. Uh, let's do my favourite thing then. My New Year's resolution is to answer even more of your questions. I love it. Every week on the show, you send over your questions to me and then I become a science Sherlock and we see what's going on. A couple of ways that you can get in touch. The easiest is to get to funkidslive.com or open up the free Fun Kids app and send me a voice note like this from Eli. How long after stars burns out do we stop seeing its light? All right, Eli, how long after stars burn out do we stop seeing their light? Well... The visibility of a star, how much you can see it, depends really on how far away the star is and the type of star and how big it is. So when a star burns out, when it uses up all its nuclear fuel and then it collapses in on itself, light will carry on reaching us because light travels at the speed of light. So when a star has made its last light beams and it's pushed them out into the universe... That light will travel on and on and on until it reaches us. So, for example, the nearest big star to us is something called Proxima Centauri. It's 4.24 light years away. So it will take light 4.24 years to travel to us. So it would take us 4.24 years to notice any change like maybe the star has died out. That's really the best way of explaining. It all depends on how far away the star is, how big and bright the star is, and how long that light would take to travel to us in light years. Eli, thank you so much for the question. This is from Logan, who has sent a question to me on Apple Podcasts as a review. Logan wants to know, how do we get headaches? Well, normally headaches are caused by a few different reasons. Perhaps chemicals in your brain, or the blood vessels and nerves around your skull, or the muscles that hold up your head. The thing is, it's actually your brain itself in there. It can't really feel pain. It's just what happens around it. Normally, headaches are made by too many signals being sent through the nerves around your head. Your brain doesn't know what to do with them. It becomes a bit overloaded, so it starts to hurt. If you don't drink enough water, this causes a strain on the nerves and your muscles, which makes them start to work harder with less energy, so that gives you a headache too. Sometimes the food that you eat as well, like uh, chocolate and cheese, maybe you ate a lot of that over Christmas, Uh, they carry nitrates. Other processed food chemicals as well in there, which your nerves struggle to deal with, that can give you a headache. And also, if you're stressed, it will tighten the muscles around your neck, which can also make your head hurt. So there's a few reasons why we get headaches, Logan. Key thing is, make sure you drink a lot of water and relax. Thank you so much for the question. If you have anything you want answered next week on the show, best way that you can do it, I love it. Make sure you star in our podcast by leaving it as a voice message to me on the free Fun Kids app or get it to funkidslive.com. Happy New Year! Gearing up for a busy year down here on planet Earth and above us too. 
Let's find out what's happening in space through 2024 with Dara Patel from the National Space Centre. Dara, lovely to chat to you. Happy New Year. How excited are you for 2024? Yeah, Happy New Year to you too. I am so looking forward to 2024. It is going to be a mega year. Um, I think there are so many cool and exciting things that are going to be happening in space as well. I feel like we've been pretty blessed over the last couple of years because we had the James Webb Space Telescope finally unfurling so we can try and look at stars at the end of the universe. We've had so many missions to Mars. Just very quickly, is what we've seen over the last couple of years, is that particularly special that there's been a lot happening or is that just the way it is now? I would say it's a bit of both, right? In the sense that this has been an era, especially the last few years, where we have seen so many cool, new, exciting things launching. But I don't think that this is going to be a novelty. I think this is the way forward. And I think people are going to be aspiring to do bigger and better things to advance our knowledge in space and to get humans into space as well. Wow, I'm very excited to chat about that. So you mentioned 2024. You're looking forward to what should be a busy bumper year across the universe what are the headlines what's really standing out for you right now oh gosh where do we start <laughs> there's definitely for me lots of things moon related and i'm not just talking about our moon but i'm talking about moons more generally across the solar system so just in a few days time we're going to have the uh, hopefully first successful commercial mission launching to the moon so there have been attempts before um, but astrobotic technology are going to be launching their peregrine mission um, which is part of national NASA's uh, commercial lunar payload service program, which essentially means NASA are hiring private companies to deliver robotic instruments to the surface of the moon. And if this mission is successful, it will become the first ever private mission to land down on the surface of the moon. So it launches in a few days time. Hopefully we'll get there in February. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed for that one. The Chinese are also gearing up to send their Chang'e 6 mission to the, the moon. Um, you know, they've been really hot in terms of trying new things. They've brought back samples from the surface of the moon. They've even landed a, a rover or a, a lander on the far side of the moon. With this mission, hopefully launching in kind of May, they're going to be attempting to bring back a sample from the far side of the moon. And that has never been done before. So big things to look forward to. And then, of course, as we get towards the end of the year, I think the thing that I am most excited about is the Artemis II mission. This will be the first time that we actually send humans back to the moon uh, since the 1970s. They're not going to be landing, but it is the first time in you know roughly 50 odd years that we're going to be sending humans beyond low earth orbit so there'll be four astronauts that will be riding on artemis 2 swinging by the moon and then coming back paving the way for artemis 3 uh, which will actually get humans to land on the moon now many many years ago there was a space race with particularly the americans and the russians who would be the first to land on the moon and america uh, got there first and now after years and years and years with nothing really happening uh, around the moon, at least, we're all back at it. So the Americans want to get there. As you mentioned, the Chinese and the Indians got there last year. How much further will this go, do you think? Is this the stepping stone to an even bigger space race to try and find more out there? And it's a competition again? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess the nice thing now is it's not just a two horse race. There are so many different companies 
including not just national organizations, but private companies as well that are getting involved. And part of it is to get people to the moon or, or to get at least rovers and robotics for some organizations to the moon. But I think the longer term plan is that we're using that as a stepping stone to go even further. We know it's possible to get to the moon because it's happened before uh, with the Apollo program. But it's not been done in a while. And actually, when we go back into space, it doesn't want to be just for a few days. We want to make sure it's a longer term sustained presence in space. So the moon is ultimately what I think a stepping stone in terms of getting to Mars. How long that takes is a, you know, a completely different question. But what I would say is a lot of people would say that you know, space and especially exploration of the moon has really died down over the last couple of decades. You know, we had the Apollo era. Suddenly there was nothing. And now it's all ramped up again. The reality is so many space organizations have been working on this for decades. And what it takes is little steps, little bits at a time to get to the point where we are now, where there's this mad rush. So, you know, the Chinese program has been ongoing for about 20 odd years. And their next phase is to develop a research station on the South Pole of the moon and have kind of crude presence on the moon as well. Now, it's not just been official space agencies over the last couple of years who have been venturing across the cosmos. Uh, We've had, well, Richard Branson's Virgin Company have kind of done things, nipping into space and taking regular people with them. Regular people. Uh, Also, there's Jeff Bezos's and Elon Musk has been trying out. How does that side of space exploration look in 2024 with commercial billionaires trying to take paying normal people up there? Well, I say hopefully towards the end of this month, uh, Virgin Galactic are set to have their next commercial flight. Uh, And as you mentioned there, you know, Virgin Galactic, the idea is that we're taking people into space, but they're not orbiting the Earth. So they're going past what we would assume is the, the sort of boundary of space and coming back down. So that's a kind of tourism angle of it. But actually, private companies are also getting involved in more scientific missions. So there's a mission going up hopefully this month called Axiom 3 developed by Axiom Space, working with SpaceX as the operator. And they'll be sending private astronauts to the International Space Station, but they won't be up there for six months at a time like most astronauts are. They'll be going up for a couple of weeks, conducting a bit of scientific experimentation, and then coming back down. So I definitely feel like that side of things is growing. I'm always just cautious with space, though. That lots of people always have that you know, comment, well, is space worth it? We're spending billions when we've already got problems here on Earth. And so I think when it comes to space tourism, we need to make sure there's a balance and it's not just a commercial profitable thing, but actually that there are some benefits with going into space that we can bring back to the Earth as well. Uh, I mentioned earlier on in this show that I, uh, there's something happening where NASA are trying to get really close to the sun. I don't know if, if you've seen this. I, I, I don't know if you knew anything about it. They're trying to, it's part of a big program to, to fly as close to the sun as ever before. And they're going to do it, but it's going to be like 3 million miles away or something. So potentially the Parker Solar Probe, which is orbiting around the sun, trying to find out a little bit more about it. You know, people don't realise the sun... When you say getting about 3 million kilometers or whatever, it is close to the sun. That is incredibly close. You know, the sun is this mighty beast, you know, incredibly hot, 15 million degrees Celsius at its center, roughly 6,000 degrees at the surface. Getting close to the sun is pretty tough work. Um, And so these probes that are trying to inch ever closer, you know, these are big boundaries that are are being broken. Uh, I read as well that 
because of the sun's massive gravitational pull, as it passes close, it'll be travelling so fast that it's the same as flying from London to New York City in 30 seconds. So that's how swiftly it's zipping around there. Well, my last question, you've spoke about a lot of practical things that are happening this year, which is fantastic. But just for you, Dara, what would you really like to see happen in the next 12 months? What would what could happen in 2024 that would blow your mind and you would just be amazed at a new discovery? One of the things that had been talked about over the last couple of years was a star called Betelgeuse. And it had been kind of pulsating uh, and its brightness dimming and changing. And it's a star that we know is on the verge of going supernova. The problem is supernova occur without any sort of notice of when it's going to happen, right? And so being able to catch a supernova happening in the sky when it happens is like trying to spot a meteor, but probably hundreds of times harder than that. Like it's a flash and then it's happened and it's done. So I think for me, it would be incredible if we were able to actually image, picture, capture the moment a supernova goes off, whether it's Betelgeuse or something else, or that we come up and we discover actually there's a telltale sign when we know that stars are going to go supernova and therefore we were able to track them and monitor them going off in the sky. I think that would be incredible. It's probably not the biggest and greatest, but it's one thing that stands out in my head as I think that would be quite cool. Wow, something to look out for. And the, the miracle of science and space means that when we see it, it's actually happened like millions of years ago, right? There's a, a nebula in the sky. I think it's called the Crab Nebula. And, you know, it's a, a supernova when that went off roughly a thousand years ago. And yet we're seeing the remnants now. We're like, wow, that's beautiful. That's gorgeous. But actually, that's what it looks like, you know, all that time ago. So, yeah, the beauty of space and science is that it's not just about the now. You're, you're able to look into the past and, and figure out what was happening then as well. Wow. Big thoughts to start 2024. Dara Patel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Let's get the first Danger Stand of 2024, where we look at some of the most mean, weird, strange and unique things around the universe that have ever existed. And we are starting the year heading into the past to look at a deadly dead fish. The Dunkleosteus was a prehistoric fish that lived during the late Devonian period. This is over 350 million years ago. Now, it had a massive bony head, it had powerful jaws, and inside it weren't teeth like you and I have teeth, but massive, thick, sharp plates, like huge teeth, razor sharp. Experts think it could open its jaw and shut it very quickly, springing wide and slamming down on prey in less than a second. Not just that, it had a huge bite force too. Scientists say it might have had the most powerful bite in history, slamming down with a force that would have split its prey in two. It could grow up to 10 metres long. It was as chunky as a whale, as deadly as a shark. Also, it was an apex predator. That means it was the top of its food chain. Nothing would come for it. Now, the Dunkleosteus, brilliant name, was first discovered as a fossil in 1867. Since then, 10 different species of the beast has been found. But it had the largest best bite forced in history it could open and close its mouth incredibly quickly it had razor sharp massive teeth and it is huge which means the Dunkleosteus becomes the first dangerous Dan on our list for 2024 What a brilliant creature, long extinct, to start our Dangerous Dan list with this year. If, by the way, you know of any dangerous, strange, unique, weird or deadly things that I have not covered in hundreds of Dangerous Dan's, I'd love for you to tell me all about them. Find my contact page over at funkidslive.com and tell me 
who you want to hear more about. Right now, let's check in with Techno Mum. She is our gadget genius, an absolute guru that knows everything about the tech that we use every day, why we use it, where it's made, who made it. This week, we're learning all about the useful machines that could be put into people's bodies to make them work better. Techno Mum Fast Files. Everyone loves a good space movie with lots of robots. We might not be machines, but did you know there's a lot of technology that can be put right inside our bodies to help when we're sick or injured? Pacemakers have been around for over 50 years. They're tiny machines that help regulate people's heartbeat by keeping the heart beating evenly. Cochlear implants are machines that are connected directly into the brain and act like an ear by creating sounds for people who are hearing impaired. Electrical pulses from the brain can even be used to move bionic hands. So they're moved by thought alone. Who needs science fiction with facts like that? In what other ways could technology be placed in our body to help us? Technomom with the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Advancing and sharing knowledge. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any science questions you want answered next week on the show, make sure you leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. We've got loads more brilliant podcast series as well that you can find wherever you get your shows, Google, Apple, Spotify, places like that. They're on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com too. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station. You can listen to us on our app at funkidslive.com and best way if you've got a smart speaker wake up and ask it to play fun kids